Hi everyone, I'm Vivek Chauhan and you're listening to the Wharton Fintech Club podcast. Today, I'm by Joel Frisch, Head of Americas at Prodigy Finance. Since 2007, Prodigy Finance has been revolutionizing student finance. It is an innovative platform offering loans to international postgraduate students attending top universities. To date, more than $500 million in Prodigy Finance loans have been disbursed to over 10,300 students around the world. Joel is the head of Americas at Prodigy Finance. Educated in Philadelphia and London, Joel had a successful career on Wall Street and co-founded a software startup in the employee management industry prior to joining Prodigy Finance. As the first US-based employee at Prodigy Finance, Joel has helped build both the team and the market while balancing the complexities of a fast scaling company in a highly regulated space across the UK and US. Joel, thanks for joining us today. We are really excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so to get our uh, listeners started, could you just share more about Prodigy, your path to Prodigy? Let's do. So Prodigy Finance, like many companies, was, was started by a group of individuals who kind of looked across the room and, and identified a problem that they were having and, and some of their peers were having. Uh, and with us, it really started 10 years ago uh, at INSEAD in Fontainebleau, France, uh, where our founder, Cameron Stevens, kind of looked across the class at all his bright uh, new MBA peers uh, and realized that many of them struggled to finance their education. Uh, and many more actually were unable to attend because they didn't have access to finance. Um, this was really rooted in the fact that uh, the, the financing or the banks in the home country of the students uh, were a little risk adverse at giving individuals loans to leave the country. Uh, and banking institutions in the country of study uh, really didn't have a model to assess an individual who was brand new. They had no history. They had no theoretical credit worthiness uh, in that country. Uh, and that's left a bit of a gap uh, in, in the credit markets. And so you had this unbelievable talent pool, what we believe to be a, a super prime borrower, uh, that was kind of missed because of the way that the current uh, credit models and, and financial institutions were set up in a very jurisdictional approach. Uh, and so what Cameron set out to do uh, was to truly become a borderless credit platform that assesses individuals on their potential, not their current balance sheets or their uh, bank accounts or property values. And over the last 10 years, uh, we've expanded from that first test at INSEAD where we helped the first seven students uh, to now covering over 200 schools uh, in the postgraduate space between uh, top business programs, engineering, law, and policy, and we'll continue to expand into other uh, educational verticals. Uh, and to your point, uh, we've helped over 10,000 students, uh, have lent out about half a billion dollars, uh, and along the way, you know, really have had some lasting impact on the stories of the individuals that we've, we've helped. And, and for me and everyone at Prodigy, that really is the unique proposition of Prodigy, is that you truly are kind of changing these individuals' lives by enabling them the opportunity to go on for this higher level of education. That's really exciting. And I did uh, go through the impact report, which was released, and I was amazed with the statistics uh, uh, on that report. Uh, would you mind sharing a little more about the Prodigy's offering? Like, how are these loans approved? What kind of students can apply? Uh, how are, in a very broad overview, how are these rates determined? Sure, absolutely. So the, the unique proposition for Prodigy is, is based on our predictive model, which basically takes a look at a variety of the factors that the student is presenting in their application, 
as well as taking into account the school or program that they're attending, uh, how other students have performed after those programs, as well as the 10 years of repayment history that we have kind of layered over top and produces a predictive affordability of what that individual could afford. Um, it does that without cosigners and without collateral uh, required. So that means that an individual can literally go online uh, for over 85% of our applications, they get an instant offer, which I think in, in the U.S. and the U.K., we kind of take for granted everything in the world is very instant right now. In the U.S., I can apply for a mortgage. They'll do a soft pull on my credit score and instantly give me a pre-approval. But when you consider the fact that Prodigy supports over 150, excuse me, 150 countries, being able to have that instant offer uh, is, is actually pretty amazing, thinking that uh, students are sitting all over the world in their bedrooms and libraries applying and getting that instant offer. And so you're getting that instant offer. Uh, our ranges on our rates will go from about five and a half to eight and a half percent over three month LIBOR. Uh, our loan terms range from seven, 10, 15, or now even 20 year terms. Uh, students have the uh, grace period, so there's no required payment during study or, or six months following uh, full-time graduation. And then they go into repayment based on their term. So, uh, Really, I mean, we've, we've created a fully online process, uh, not only the application, uh, the approval, the verification, or, or basically the uploading of documents, uh, signing the loan agreement, everything is done online. Uh, all the funds are distributed right to the school. Uh, and then we have a variety of repayment tools for students so that wherever they are in the world, uh, they can easily make repayment uh, throughout the life of the loan. Yeah, that's fascinating. So uh, I am one of the Prodigy Finance borrowers for MBA, and I'm truly oh, fantastic. I'm truly grateful for for this amazing platform and for for the amazing offering. I think it it was it was a seamless process, something which I could not have ever imagined. Uh, especially growing up in India, I, I, it's a very tedious red tape uh, process to do anything, and uh, it was just a bunch of. Um, buttons to click on the website and a very straightforward process didn't even have to interact with the university because prodigy did that for me which is amazing uh, it cuts it cuts the amount of time i need to spend on uh, on managing the logistics of payment so would you mind sharing a little about how you got into uh, prodigy uh, finance you you had successful career on wall street um, what led you to uh, prodigy finance and the p2p industry yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. So um, I, I, I tell people that I have a nice mix of kind of finance and, and user experience background from uh, a couple of my last companies. But, but what really led me to Prodigy is actually uh, students. And uh, with our last company, we were hiring uh, engineer students, engineering students. I hired a few from, from Penn and from Drexel in Philadelphia. And uh, one day over lunch, I heard them kind of talking about life, uh, kind of bemoaning about their uh, their monthly payments on their loans, and just kind of ask them how they paid for school. Uh, one individual was uh, an individual uh, was a student from uh, India, came from a rural town, and his parents had to put up their mango farm as collateral, and he was paying 17%. Uh, the other student was coming from Nigeria, uh, had really no access to funding, uh, came to school with, with limited funds, and actually begged his roommate's dad to co-sign for him uh, for, a, for a loan that also was, was a high-rate loan. And I sat here thinking, this is kind of crazy. I, I'm employing these individuals, uh, you know, very good kind of first-year salaries, and I know what their trajectory is. So well, I could take their loan for half of, of what they're paying, and, and, and they would actually have savings and, 
and it would be a you know strong employee employer benefit for me. And so I basically started looking to see if anyone was doing this because I was so fascinated by the fact that this international group of highly talented individuals was being overlooked. Um, as an American, I, you know, you, I take for granted how easy it is access to credit and banks and online providers. And so when I was kind of hunting around, I found a ton of folks in, in the domestic space that were doing it. But when I looked across the world, I really only found one company. Uh, it, was, it was a rather small company at the time uh, based in the UK with a presence in Cape Town, South Africa, uh, because the founder was South African. And that was Prodigy Finance. And at the time, they were just kind of proving out the model, uh, supporting a few European schools, and really just had some very good conversations about learning about the model and what they had seen, uh, and immediately felt a strong alignment with regard to the mission of the company, uh, because as I call it, it, it really was finance with a face. Um, I had been in kind of big banks, um, but this really kind of drove home uh, that impact and that you, you really understood what, what the outcome of, of your solution was. And when banking, I, I think that most of the relationships are very transactional. If I walk into Wells Fargo to open up a checking account, I get an account number, it's very transactional, I'm on my way. Whereas the relationship that we have with borrowers uh, is one that's very much built on opportunity. Uh, you mentioned your story, and, and your story is, is not on, unlike many of the students where you're, you're really excited to have the opportunity to, to further your education and, and kind of open up and unlock the next, the next door for you and your journey. And so by having that, that opportunity to help someone get there, that's a very different relationship that we have with our customers than I think a, a typical bank or financial services provider would have. And so um, as Prodigy started to expand and, and wanted to really kind of open up the U.S. markets, I uh, jumped at the opportunity to, uh, to join them and, and physically jumped, jumped on a plane and, and uh, down to South Africa to meet Cameron. Uh, and the rest is, is history. And we've, we've kind of built a great team here, uh, both in London, U.S., and in Cape Town, uh, three different offices. We also have a kind of a budding office uh, that's actually growing right now in India, in uh, Bangalore. Wow. That, that's actually a great story. That's not a story which you would hear usually from Wall Street people. So, uh, like, really, really uh, excited to learn more on how you went about building the business. Uh, before that, uh, I would like to learn a little more. Uh, since you mentioned that Prodigy assesses students uh, and, and their applications based on the universities they are going, what's the balance between forward and backward looking uh, credit assessment? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, we, we are really focused on a predictive model. So we really want to focus on how Vivek will perform after he graduates from Wharton. Um, that being said, in the process, uh, as you're aware, we, we do do a local credit check. Um, so basically what we do is we assess the individual on our model forward-looking of what we believe that this individual could afford. Um, they, they complete a full budget so that we understand any other liabilities they may have outstanding, as well as how they're basically paying for their entire uh, educational experience if they're looking at taking any other loans. Uh, as a responsible lender, we really want to ensure that the students can afford their debt service after school, and so we want to make sure that they're not over-indebted. So in the last, one of the last stages of the process, we will actually ask the students to, to upload the credit report. We're currently in the process of connecting with credit agencies all across the world to pull that on their behalf. Um, and, and that's really more of a secondary check just to ensure that everything that's been provided is accurate. There's no outstanding liabilities that we're not aware of. But, but the model really is, is forward-looking and, um, and, and, and not, as, not as much focused on the way that a classic lender just looks at your individual kind of assets and liabilities. Yeah, that's very interesting because I think majority of financial services industry, when it gives to lending, uh, looks after historical data, um, assets, etc. 
and this is a very unique way of uh, modeling credit risk and what's what's actually encouraging is that a prodigy has a very low default rate um and i would i'd like to learn more about what's the secret sauce here uh, is it just that picking the right students uh, at the premier universities or there is more to that yeah, I think I think there's a, a few kind of ingredients to uh, to grandma's secret recipe. I think the first one you're right. I think it is the credit worthiness of our customer. Uh, you know, we we proactively support the top postgraduate programs. We support the top 100 global business programs or global MBA and business programs. We support the top 100 engineering programs. Uh, so we recognize that uh, top talent uh, who's getting into the top programs have a greater propensity uh, to succeed uh, because of the status and stature of those programs. Um, beyond that, we do do risk screening, local risk screening. We do a lot uh, with some external tools uh, to ensure uh, identity checks and, and past uh, um, you know, history, uh, um, location, all that kind of stuff of the individual borrower. Our predictive scorecard uh, is, is a big piece of that. You know, we've, we've been doing this for 10 years, and so what that allows you to do is over the years, you continue to kind of refine that model. You have more and more data points. You can layer in more and more vintages of repayment. So correlating factors that you had in the beginning, you can determine if those are still as strong or as, or, 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 or you know, maybe they need to be dialed down a little bit. Um, one, one very important piece is that over the last 10 years, we have built a borderless enforcement model. Uh, we've worked with uh, fantastic legal staff, both in-house and external, uh, and built a framework that allows us to, uh, enforce our contracts across the 150 countries that we support. Um, and the last two pieces are um, diversification. So diversification with regard to where our customers come from, uh, where our customers are studying, the types of programs. Uh, we don't really want to ever find ourselves in any type of concentrated issue with regard to uh, students from a certain country uh, tied to an economic uh, cycle or a geopolitical issue uh, mm -hmm. that, that would cause great you know, impact on the, on the performance of the portfolio. Uh, and lastly, it just is a little bit of the, the social pressure into our model. Uh, so as, as, as we've kind of continued to grow and have diversified our, our funding sources, the, the alumni, the community piece has still been a big part. Uh, you know, in our, in our first year at INSEAD, we were 100% funded by alumni of the programs. And we continue to have that be a big piece of this. Um, I think it's, it's quite unique in the P2P space. Uh, many P2P companies start on a very kind of uh, storytelling, retail, consumer-to-consumer -consumer, uh, angle, uh, but quickly abandon that uh, as they need to scale and, and, and kind of only go to an institutional capital. Uh, while, of course, we, we do that and add that into the mix to help us scale, that community piece that those individual investors, alumni investors, the schools themselves in many instances will invest alongside into, uh, into our loan vehicles. So that creates a, a big piece of social pressure because, you know, you know that you, you're taking a loan that has uh, someone from Wharton that's tied into it. And, and you know that your, your repayment uh, ability impacts the, the access to funding for the next year's class and, and five years beyond that. And I would tell you that one of the, the most common requests that we get from borrowers, even mid-stage before they've been fully approved is, hey, I, wanna, I can't wait to pay off my loan because I want to I invest in the next, the next batch of students. And, and we have had uh, students from some of our earlier years fully repay their loans and actually reinvest back into future students, which I think tells the full story of, of the sustainability model of Prodigy. Wow, this is, this is like the, this is a great flywheel actually. It, it's, a, it's a great circle. Um, it's, and 
are, are the alumni aware of who is borrowing from them or is it anonymized at the platform level? Yeah, so you know, as as we've grown, we we, we you know obviously need to stay compliant and uh, within a regulatory framework, and so the le the levels of uh, discretion are, are are quite high, um, but there there still is a sentiment of that you're investing in uh, you know the certain class. So for example, if I wanted to invest in a Wharton bond, I would invest in the Wharton bond of 2018. So it would be all the students that are entering fall of 2018 for that you know August class start. Um, but with regard to uh, individual personal connections, that, that's actually quite limited. But uh, we have we have opened up other ways for our investors to connect with students and vice versa uh, through networking events, mentorship opportunities. Uh, we have a whole careers arm that's actually built that not only supports uh, the repayment uh, side of the business, but also supports the students for both short-term and long-term placement. So we really are trying to build a community where we're taking like-minded people across school uh, and being able to connect them uh, initially now for job placement, mentorship, coaching, but we hope that leads to other things, you know, deal flow, uh, transactions later. I think you can see how this could kind of continue to play out uh, as it grows. This seems also a very complicated process. There are so many stakeholders involved as compared to um, an anonymized P2P platform here. There, there are alumni, there's school, there's students, and so on. Um, and you were leading the business development for, for Prodigy. What were the biggest challenges you faced uh, doing that? Yeah, so I, I would say the number one challenge is that um, is really educating your market. I mean, you know, we, we joke all the time that on a global le level, we really don't have competition. We have, you know, some regional competition. And, and obviously, we're, we're always kind of keeping an eye on what's going on in, in all the markets that we support. Um, but what we're trying to do in, in really kind of unlocking these opportunities for top talent means that we need to ensure that individuals know that there is a solution out there. Uh, we've talked to many schools that have said, hey, you know, we've historically really kind of catered to uh, the wealthier populations across the world because those are the students who could actually afford to come. And so there's a significant portion of students who are not even applying to school because they don't think that they could ever kind of make it there. Uh, and I think that if you, if you only look within the MBA slice, uh, that, that, that's a portion. But if you start to look at some of the other verticals, I think it's a greater percentage of students that aren't even considering uh, going, going abroad and studying because it's not something that they could ever achieve. So we do a lot of work on educating uh, potential customers, uh, students in kind of undergrad and, you know, working in country. Well, we do a lot of work within our regional partnerships team, education on the ground. Uh, in many of these countries also, I would argue that, we have to educate not only our customer, but our customers' families uh, from a cultural perspective. In many of the countries that we support, these types of very large financial decisions uh, are very much a family decision. And getting everyone comfortable with a, uh, an online option, um, showing people the, the history that we've had and the great schools that we support, uh, making sure everyone understands the process. Uh, that's where we spend a lot of our time, and I would say it's probably our biggest challenge. Uh, in addition to that, I think it's just, you know, to your point, being in a, in a highly regulated industry, um, at the same time, regulation is not yet totally caught up with a lot of the things uh, that some of the new fintech players are trying to do. So if you think about uh, cross-border payments is a big piece of our puzzle, right? So it's one thing for me to uh, disperse the loan to you, uh, but it's a whole other thing for you to start making payments back. And uh, there is no one in the world right now who has that kind of uh, vanilla solution that can help. Uh, and so we do a lot of work country to country trying to identify what is the best solution 
for customers and students living in those countries. And I, I think that, you know, we're, we're constantly working hand-in-hand -hand with the regulators. The FCA is a regulatory body, is actually very forward-thinking. Uh, they have a lot of folks who, who work with uh, high-growth, scaling startup companies, whatever you want to call them. And, and I think that's really uh, the, the challenge is kind of keeping up, you know, ensuring that the regulation keeps up with us. Um, you know, we're constantly going through and testing our model, ensuring that the way that we lend uh, cross-border uh, is compliant within local rules. Um, and, and so I think that working with 150 countries, anytime we try to solve something, we have to potentially come up with 150 uh, angles of it. Wow. Oh, this seems like a very complicated task and you built it from, from scratch in the US. So um, that's amazing. And I can actually attest to the story that I myself was not sure if I want to go ahead with an MBA till I found out that there is Prodigy Finance who can help finance uh, my education. Um, and it was, I think one, one of the things which was amazing for me was the level of transparency. I could reach out to customer care and they would share the whole payment schedule and the rate and everything around it was so transparent, which gave me confidence and my family confidence uh, to proceed with it. Zooming out uh, a little bit, um, as we're talking about the P2P industry, what do you see after being involved in space for so long? What do you see are the biggest trends and opportunities in the P2P lending space and specifically student lending space? Sure. So I think I think this, the space in general is, is definitely maturing um, and, and it really has over the last few years. I think you're seeing uh, better kind of risk controls um, be kind of put into place uh, with regard to some of these larger providers who are actually securitizing their paper. You're seeing tighter spreads. Uh, so the risk premiums really, you know, have, have shrunk a bunch. Um, you're also seeing new institutional capital flow into it as, as folks get more comfortable with it. It really does come down to track record, how, how firms have performed, uh, especially for non-banking, you know, non-bank lending. Uh, I, I do not think it's, it's really easy anymore to just kind of launch, launch a new P2P today and, and try to go out and get institutional capital. Uh, you really do need to be able to show track record because they really still, still are assessing you uh, as a typical originator and want to see how, how your loans have performed. Um, with regard to kind of some of the, the new trends, I mean, I think we're seeing another pickup in trends with ISAs or income share agreements. Uh, there's a couple young companies that have popped up. Actually, there's a recent one out of, out of Wharton uh, that I've seen. Uh, this, this was an area that had kind of popped up a few years ago. Um, basically, it um, presents a student with the ability to, rather than be fixed to a specific, specific interest rate, um, basically commit them to provide a percentage of their income in the future uh, to that to that lender or to that underwriter and you know it, it's kind of gone it's kind of gone through peaks and valleys with regard to going in and out of vogue I think there's a lot of potential there I think it has to be careful on how it's structured uh, for public perception but I do think it's very interesting uh, we've looked at that a little bit um, in general with p2p I think that uh, there's some other pieces with with some of the uh, new distributed ledger uh, work that's going on through blockchain. Uh, we're looking at some stuff with regard to smart contracts, uh, especially for a provider like us that is global. Uh, some of that work is very interesting because it, it, it is not jurisdictionally based, uh, which is really, you know, kind of at the, at the ethos of Prodigy. So uh, those are just a few of the things that we've seen. That, that's exciting. Uh, it seems that uh, on top of the business itself, Prodigy is at the forefront of the the technology part of the the business also 
uh, I mean, I don't know many companies who are, who are looking at smart contracts and blockchain and uh, DLTs. So that's that's very encouraging. And I also struggle a little. Um, where does a P2P loan fall into as an asset class? Is it is it like a bond, but it doesn't have the liquidity of a bond? Is it an alternative? But it, as you mentioned, the yields are shrinking. So it's not really a high yield asset as most alternatives are. How should investors analyze this space? Yeah, it, it, it's something that I've actually struggled with uh, since I've entered the industry. Uh, and, and I welcome feedback from your listeners or, or from you and your team as well. Um, and I think it depends on, on the investor. On, on, on a classic institutional investor, I think that they really are categorizing this uh, as, as a classic ABS or with a student loan as, as like a slab. Um, I, I've talked to some investors in, in more of an impact category since our product uh, has a very impact weight to it. Um, who hold this more as kind of an alternative investment. Um, they, they, they want to invest in education as a vertical, uh, and, and they kind of hold that there. I think when you get into the kind of alternative space, to your point, uh, the, the yields are not comparable to what you'd be looking at with, you know, REITs and, and, and PE and that kind of stuff. So it, it's hard to have comps there. Um, I've also spoken to some folks who, who really just look at this as an esoteric fixed income product. They say, okay, well, you know, uh, the Prodigy loans are actually structured as uh, as bonds on the Irish exchange. Uh, they are listed. Uh, they're not they're not actively traded, but they are listed. To your point, they are a pretty liquid. Um, so an individual says, "Hey, I, I look at this as a fixed income piece. This is a a 10-year or 15-year note with a yield of illustratively, let's say 5%. Um, and I know I'm just going to hold to maturity. And so it's it's kind of a little sleeve within my fixed income allocation." Uh, but I kind of view it as kind of esoteric because I'm not really going to trade it, and it, it's just going to kind of uh, kind of hold to maturity. So I think it depends on the investor. Uh, we are actively uh, always looking at new structures that make things uh, more friendly, particularly for retail. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of folks in the space that have done some very interesting things. Uh, Lending Club uh, has recently launched a fund uh, that gives a little bit more flexibility. Uh, in the U.S., you've seen, uh, you know, bank loans, uh, excuse me, banks do this with bank loans and like closed-end funds. Uh, that way you have a little bit of a, a greater flow with a, a daily NAV. Um, so it's, it's a long answer to your question. I think it really depends on the investor. I don't think there is one kind of uh, allocation categorization that we've seen. But uh, if you find one, definitely let me know because it would make my job a lot easier. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I, I think I should do a quick poll in the Wharton community. Uh, and, and since you mentioned that it is quite complex and it depends on how the investors look at the opportunity, what would you say is the biggest risk for investors on the platform and for the platform itself? So with, with, with regard to Prodigy, I think it's, uh, it's really about just kind of understanding the model. Um, you know, I joke all the time that if, 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 if I pulled an investor aside and said, hey, I have a great opportunity for you, you can invest in international students and they're going to travel all over the world and don't worry, we're going to get the money back. Someone's going to take pause and say, wait a second, how are you enforcing a model across 150 countries? But once yeah. you start explaining the model and how we've done it and the track record that we have, um, you, you can kind of educate them up on the product. So I think for us, that's a big thing of it and, and kind of making sure that we're continuing to deliver uh, the results that we have in the past and the results that we um, kind of have structured for the future. With regard to the space in general, I, I think for investors, they really need to look at track records of the firms and the companies that are doing this. I mentioned this before. I, I, I think it's really hard if, if you and I were in a garage today and say, hey, we want to launch a, a P2P platform and we're going to go out and get $100 million to start lending. 
the reason I say that is because you really need to understand the, the underlying asset. You know, at, at Project Finance, we truly believe that we are supporting a super prime candidate and that, that, this, that the customers that we support stack up with the highest rated credit worthy borrowers uh, in the U.S. or other domestic markets. But I think that there are some models out there that really are trying to go after either the underserved or theoretically some, uh, some prime or subprime markets uh, by using kind of, you know, more complex algorithms or some, you know, uh, unique risk models to assess. Uh, and I think that's fascinating, and that type of innovation should be applauded and continued. But I think that investors need to be careful that they're not getting um, overly romanticized by some, you know, crazy new algo that is just applying over some questionable uh, kind of assets that are backing the loan behind it, uh, or, you know, assets being borrowers. And so I, I think that's really important for investors, particularly as this world gets more complicated. Interesting. And you also uh, alluded on the impact investing angle. And uh, investors, again, are on, a, on two different, uh, across the whole spectrum when it comes to impact investing. Some are very impact heavy. Um, they are fine with zero return or, or even taking risk of default. And then there's the whole investing angle to it with some impact, uh, whatever uh, the magnitude of impact might be. So uh, as, 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 as a P2P platform, which does uh, source investments and has amazing impact on thousands of lives. Um, how do you think investors see and evaluate the opportunity uh, from the platform when it comes to impact investing? Yeah, so first I, I encourage everyone like you to, to take a look at the impact report that we just launched, uh, which, which takes a look back at our 10-year history. It's, it's on prodigyfinance.com under our investor section. Everybody can download it. It's free. It's got some great data points in there. Um, it, it's really special to see, um, you know, over 75% over, uh, of our students are coming from emerging markets. Over two-thirds of our students are actually returning home after school uh, to bring that experience and those skills back into their local markets, public or private. Um, for me, one of, one of my favorite uh, statistics to track is that we have over 55% of our borrowers are actually the first in their family uh, to go on for higher education. So, I mean, truly raising, raising the bar of, of kind of impact in these, in these various markets all over the world. I, I think when you look at our product from an investment standpoint, it actually sits really nice between uh, the, the two spectrums of impact. Um, and and I, I think you're right with regard to how some folks assess impact. You know, if you look at some of the largest impact funds in the world, the Blue Orchards, et cetera, um, you know, they, ma they manage impressive, impressive levels of assets uh, with, you know, single, you know, low single-digit returns. Uh, I, I think here you're getting, you're getting a product that people can understand either because they're the, they are directly connected to the school. Maybe I'm an alum, so I totally get it. I understand Wharton. Or... I'm all about education as a vertical, and I see what education unlocks, uh, both in local markets and on a global level. And so I, I get the story, and I'm actually getting a nice return. Um, historically, we've seen returns anywhere between illustratively kind of 4 to 6%. So, um, yeah, it's not going to sit there in that kind of high yield where someone says, yeah, I want, I want to invest in impact uh, real estate in, in certain markets, and that's going to produce a, you know, a, a very high double-digit return. But I do think I do think it represents a nice yield uh, for the level of impact that it has. Yeah, and adding to that, the platform has exceptionally low default rate, which 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 makes it all the more attractive, uh, even from an investment point of view. 
Um, since 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 we're talking about like uh, candidates from all across the world um, using the platform uh, and and taking the next step in their career, um, do you see any impact of the recent uh, geopolitical environment and application volume or the sector in general? Yeah, so this is a question I probably get asked most uh, in, in in the last kind of eighteen months. I mean, I, I think that right now there there is a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace, both U.S. Um, as well as in Europe with with Brexit. Uh, from, from a company perspective, I think that we're actually perfectly positioned because we are a borderless platform. Uh, we support uh, schools all over the globe. Um, that theoretically, if, if you see movement from one country, you'd see a pickup in volume in, in the others. And so uh, we've seen a little bit about, of that. So if you see some slowdown in the U.S., we've seen increase of applications in our Canadian schools. Uh, we've seen from some of our European schools, uh, they're seeing higher, higher rates of applications from certain countries. I think in general, there's a lot of fear, but no certainty. And I think it's very different than fear, but uncertainty. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of unknowns. And I mean, if, if you think about the level of international students coming to the U.S., uh, there's some great reports on IIE, which is the uh, Institute of International Education. You know, we've crested beyond a million international students a year in the U.S. Uh, that being said, uh, we have seen uh, a little bit of drop in the last year in certain categories. I think it's primarily more been in the undergraduate space than in the graduate space. Mm -hmm. um, we also track kind of U.S. student visa issuance uh, is down a little bit, but some of that is tied more to uh, kind of changing policies. For example, it used to be a, a one-year uh, visa for Chinese students. It's now a five-year visa. So if you think about that, what used to be two visas per, you know, Wharton student from China is now only really one. Um, mm -hmm. So. I think we've seen foreign enrollments at, at top major institutions are, are really kind of remaining solid. I think at some of the kind of second and, and third tier universities, I do think students are kind of thinking twice about uh, what their options may be afterwards. Uh, that being said, we, we've seen no material changes to any of the uh, H-1B or OPT visas, even some of the extensions from the Obama administration. Uh, there have been a lot of talk about this, uh, a lot of threat and fear. We haven't seen any changes yet. We do track this very religiously. Um, and then outside the U.S., we track it, you know, seeing uh, application demand in the Canadian schools is very strong this year. It is up. Uh, so you're seeing potential increase enrollments there. Uh, like I said, we have seen some changes with some of the European schools. We've even seen some increased appetite for uh, some of the growing uh, schools in Asia that are really trying to increase their international approach uh, and attracting international students. Both uh, ISB is a good example in India. Um, HKUST uh, in China is actually trying to attract uh, a greater international population as well. And then lastly, with regard to, to Brexit, I think that, um, you know, there, there still is a ton of geopolitical uncertainty there. Um, I, I think that uh, the higher quality programs are, are not seeing any impact because I think individuals realize that if you go to a top program like a Wharton, uh, no matter what the current geopolitical environment is or the current administration is, uh, when that administration changes, you still have uh, that great credential uh, tied to your name. I think in some of the more unproven pro uh, programs, uh, that's where you're seeing people do a little bit more of that kind of cost-benefit analysis uh, and, and see if it's worth it. Yeah, that's very interesting. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but right now from the platform, uh, only people who are outside the jurisdiction, so I mean only international students can apply for Prodigy. So if... Uh, you're an American student and who's applying to Wharton, uh, the Prodigy platform is 
not for you as of now. I think it's it's in UK right now, available, but not in US. Am I right? Correct. So we're a UK lender. Uh, we only lend internationally. So to your point, the student has to be studying outside of their home country. Uh, the only country where we do lend to uh, domestic students is the UK, because as a UK lender, uh, we have that option to do that. Uh, but the bulk of our the bulk of our customer base uh, is students who are traveling abroad. Interesting. And is it a business call or more about taking one step at a time? Because uh, as you mentioned, uh, the whole assessment process and forward looking uh, view on a student, I think that applies uh, to, let's say, even domestic students from U.S. applying to a university at Wharton in U.S. So just curious, uh, like, is it a, taking one step at a time or more of a regulatory issue? Yeah, so I, I think it really is a business decision that we've made uh, to really support this uh, group of students that we felt were, were really kind of underserved and, and that there was this kind of hole in the credit markets because credit was assessed really locally. I mean, if you think about uh, local banks really freak out if you move your address across the street, no less can they comprehend uh, your ability to kind of repay your loan living halfway across the world. Uh, so it, it really was kind of a focus of the business. Uh, I mean, I think to your point, there are always regulatory things that you need to consider. Uh, if we wanted to set up shop as a as a local lender in India or in Australia or even in the UK, um, you'd have to, you know, kind of work through uh, those, those local parties in order to do that. Obviously, there's a lot of companies that, that do that quite well. Um, our, our decision was not to kind of compete there because in many of those markets, uh, there truly are, I would say, overserved. I think the domestic market in the U.S., uh, there's, a, there's a ton of providers and uh, it, it creates it creates a whole different uh, set of challenges uh, on the company level, but if, on the consumer level, if I wanted to right now and I need to secure a loan for school, I could I could pop online or, or walk down Main Street and, and pop into you know, eight different banks and have access to funding. So I, I think it's a little bit more of a strategic call right now, but we'll see where that goes as we continue to grow. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, and zooming out a little more, uh, as 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 you you would know, most of our uh, us are interested in fintech what areas of fintech are you most excited about yeah so uh, fintech in general for me has, has been fascinating because I, I really think that it's it's really more about an approach less about technology i, I think the the technology that un, underpins all these new platforms is fascinating uh but i think to only say that fintech is rooted in technology uh, doesn't give a great enough appreciation for for how companies are attacking it and uh, and I say that because I think the, the kind of explosion of fintech really came out of 2008. Uh, when you had 2008 occur and you had the Great Recession, you had a lot of large banks uh, have to move a lot of their resources and assets uh, in, inward looking, very focused on risk management. Uh, and so you had a lot of the kind of creative innovators, external folks uh, kind of looking elsewhere. Uh, at the same time, you know, it's never been cheaper to build technology. Um, you know, everything can be built on AWS in the cloud and with a laptop, you and I can start a company today. Uh, so I think that that kind of created this, this kind of perfect vacuum, if you will, uh, for FinTech, because you had this kind of brain drain from the banks, uh, with lack of innovation and low cost tech and boom, you had this kind of explosion in FinTech. And it, and it's the way that, that folks have attacked, uh, different pieces of it. So if you think about like Acorns, the way they've attacked kind of micro investing is, is fascinating mm -hmm. to me. Um, some of these P2P lending platforms, when they first started, uh, very unique, other access to, to, to cap capital. For me, going forward, uh, there's a few areas that I'm really interested in. One is more automation. I think that being able to 
uh, introduce behavioral tools for help people like when they should pay, when they should save. Uh, think about things like uh, treating an individual consumer as a business from cash flow management perspective, right? Uh, you know, you pay your credit card bill based on the date they tell you to. Um, but you know, have you ever thought about actually aligning your credit card bill to maximize the interest the, the interest accrual that you get between your salary and when your bills are due? Um, mm -hmm. Furthermore, with regard to cash management, uh, looking at looking at consumers with regard to how they manage their cash. Um, you know, recently I, I did a personal study on on the old concept of the safety net. Um, there's a lot of companies out there, Betterment, uh, Wealthfront, et cetera, who have, who have published a lot of work on uh, kind of the, the death of the, the safety net. Keeping cash in a bank account doesn't make any sense, and there's other ways to manage it. Uh, and I think there's, there's some opportunity for some other tools there. Um, the other place is kind of utilization of uh, products. So very much like we have the, the Uber, Instacart um, of the world, I think that in the, in the finance space, that's really interesting. You're seeing this a little bit with some of these uh, pay-as-you-go insurance providers. Um, I think it's fascinating uh, paying for financial services when you use them. So theoretically, you can imagine that, like, uh, if I have a, a slug of cash and it's not being utilized, but you have the opportunity to utilize it, is there a way for us to create kind of more of a uh, utilization-based cash tool, um, et cetera? Uh, even, even some of the non-finance-heavy apps, uh, Glow, which is an app from Max Levskin, uh, the PayPal and Slide uh, team, which is actually a fertility app, but behind the fertility app, it has a crowdsourced um, uh, infertility insurance built into it that you pay into the platform every month and have access to it. So that kind of like crowdsourced utilization of financial products, I think is really interesting. Um, and then the, the last piece is, is like I was saying before, I think especially in, in, the, in the global space that we are, I think we are only in the beginning of some of this uh, kind of blockchain distributed ledger i uh, not going to go off on a whole uh, rant about Bitcoin. I'm, I'm not the expert there. But I do think that a lot of that is very interesting as you try to break down some of these jurisdictional walls and, and have a way to track uh, financial transactions around the globe. Uh, smart contracts, which have triggers tied to certain things, are very interesting. Um, and, and I think that while they open up a whole new level of regulation, I think they open up a whole new level of opportunity. Yeah, that's exciting. And we actually had a class on fintech um last quarter and um, one of the things which stuck with me uh, was the professor mentioned that you know there's two fintechs one with a capital capital f and one with the capital t depending on where's the emphasis if it's on the fin side or on the tech side and uh, the examples you listed out are falling on both sides of it um, which is very interesting what would you advise students to um, to watch out for or or do as they as they proceed with their own entrepreneurial ambitions or they or as they move into the fintech industry after graduation yeah so i'll, I'll take that in two parts with regard to folks who looking at the fintech uh kind of space as, as an industry to, to get into I, I think it's important to appreciate that unlike the banks um we don't have associate classes so you're going to graduate in may um that doesn't necessarily mean that that the company has a, a slug of seats ready to to be kind of welcoming uh, new, new associates in. I, I think that that means that the, that the onus is really on your shoulders to identify uh, companies that you really want to be a part of or want to follow. And I would recommend proactively reaching out to them. Uh, you know, show, show your level of interest, uh, show your level of understanding of, of their product and their market, uh, even share some feedback, ideas, opinions, um, you know, don't be worried about sharing ideas. Ideas are cheap. It's, it's execution where you really earn your stripes. And so 
I think kind of getting on their radar so that when opportunities do open up, uh, they call you. I mean, that's, that's what I do personally. So, you know, if, if, if an opportunity or project opens up, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to go back to the vet because, you know, he was really interested and knowledgeable in the space. So I think that's really important for folks who are looking to get into this kind of growing space that's still, still establishing itself. Um, with regard to those kind of hungry entrepreneurs on the line, uh, the best advice that um, I've received and, and always try to share is that get out and talk to the customer. Um, there, there's really limited value in sitting in a room trying to come up with the gr greatest and best idea. Uh, really get out and talk to customers as soon as possible. Even if you have no product, if you have nothing but a, but a PowerPoint presentation or, or scratch drawing on the back of a piece of paper, get out and talk to customers, uh, change the presentation, change the pricing model, see what they want, uh, and really find out how your product, product would resonate before you even build a single thing. Thank you. That that's really helpful. Thank you so much. And um, I mean, I I could see the this advice being even more helpful um, for full time recruiting as, as the class moves on, because uh, one of the the most successful uh, recruiting efforts I have seen across the batch was from people who actively reached out, actively shared their vision of the product. Uh, with the companies and that got them more engaged in the discussion as compared to just sending across the resume. So like really appreciate, thank you for, for sharing the feedback. Um, what would you say is the best play to best way to stay connected with you, with Prodigy? Uh, could we follow you on Twitter, Medium? Absolutely. So uh, as far as Prodigy, yeah. Uh, so follow us on, on Twitter. We, we have some great info stories because our teams do travel all over the world. Um, we have, a, we have a great kind of growing ambassador program. If you want to learn more about how you can get involved with Prodigy, uh, reach out to us. Me on a personal level, uh, feel free. Uh, connect on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is just my first last name, joel.frish at prodigyfinance.com. You're always welcome to reach out. I'm always happy to chat with students. Um, our teams travel all around the U.S. to various campuses. Uh, we're always looking forward to, to meeting with students. Uh, we are also always hiring students, so we have full-time internship programs for summer associates. Uh, we do hire on demand, as I mentioned. And lastly, we, we have a short-term consulting program, which is really interesting. Uh, these are one-month uh, one projects uh, where we will bring on top MBA candidates to help us solve a very specific uh, project. Uh, some may be more research-heavy. Uh, some may be a little bit more uh, product-specific. Some may be more investor-specific. Uh, so these are 30-day paid short-term uh, contracts uh, that really help us kind of leverage the, the best talent out there. And, and we have a whole opportunity there. If you want to find out more, please reach out to me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, I think stay active in the community. There's some great ways to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on. There's an organization called Innovate Finance that's both in London and New York. Uh, you can see all of their members on their website. You can see both big and small fintech companies. Um, and if you ever have any questions or, or want to kind of get feedback on any new ideas, please reach out. I'm always happy to help. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joel. Um, really appreciate you uh, sharing your time and uh, experience uh, with the whole fintech community at Wharton and uh, listeners in large. Um, thanks again for your time.